Happy Easter, church family. Man, isn't it good to celebrate Easter together? What a joy. And um, thanks so much for being here. If you are new with us and you're not yet part of the church family, we want to welcome you here. Hope you feel um, really that a warm place, but a place that would encourage your growth in the Lord and challenge you. Um, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, we want to welcome you also with us and help you understand that some of the things we talk about with us together this morning, although they are absolutely true and life-giving, they might seem a little strange because we unapologetically celebrate some astounding things. Today, we celebrate that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We celebrate that he died for us, willingly gave his life for us so that we might know forgiveness and understand that we are loved by God. Today, we celebrate that we're his creation and that he speaks to his creation and he wants relationship with us, that he loves us and gave himself for us and that he has a purpose for our lives. All these things we're in the middle of celebrating. And, and if you have yet to engage in that celebration, we're cool with that, but we would love for you to experience it. We would love for you to know the joy there is in life in Christ. So if you have questions along the way or if you have questions right afterwards, we would love to answer that and engage you in conversation and dialogue about it. In the eighth grade, I unexpectedly fell head over heels for two things. One was a girl. It's like my first time like over head over heels. And surprisingly enough, she returned the affection. It was amazing. And for three whole months, we lived in bliss. It's like that's a long-term junior high relationship, right? It was amazing. And, um, and then there was also another thing that happened to me in eighth grade, another way that I fell head over heels. And that was um, I had this eighth grade history teacher who helped me fall in love with history. Um, she was wonderful at telling stories. She told, for two weeks, I can still remember her telling the story of Rasputin and the Russian Revolution and, and me fully engaging in the story. I loved what she was saying. And, and then even more importantly, I started to understand that history was, was about bigger things than me. In fact, all the world didn't revolve around me. Big discovery as an eighth grader, Right. And that actually all of the world didn't revolve around the country that I loved, that I lived in, the U.S. It, it doesn't all revolve around America. I started to discover that this is his story, that history revolves around God and his purposes. And I was part of that. God had written me into the story, just like he's written you into the story. But it doesn't revolve around me, that it revolves around God and his great plan for us. Traditionally, on this day, we celebrate Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We celebrate, actually, the death and resurrection this week, this Passion Week, what he has done for us, his sacrifice for us, and then his conquering of death in the empty tomb. And we typically put our focus right on that empty tomb. I mean, we should, right? In many ways, it's so astounding and breathtaking what God can and did do for us. But sometimes we forget what led up to that, the power of this, the power of the cross, and, and how it set the tone for our celebration, why we can celebrate, and what we actually do celebrate together. 
So I would love for you to turn your Bible open together with me. We're going to look at Luke's account in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, where Luke helps us understand God telling his story. Did you know that over 700 years before the arrival of Jesus, the events of the Passion Week were described for us by the prophet Isaiah, whom God was helping people understand his story through. He was helping people understand that this wasn't just a unique event, that God had orchestrated all of human history so that we might know of his great love for us, so that we might understand fully how powerful this story was lived out through Jesus Christ. And if you have a Bible at home or you don't have one and you've got one on your phone or you can get, get a Bible through a Bible app that are free, I would encourage you this week to read Isaiah 53. It's a description of over 700 years before Jesus came of what Jesus went through. He went through this so that we might understand that this is God's story and we are part of it. And as such, God has great love to declare for us, for us to understand, for us to capture. Luke tells us that that account that Isaiah wrote 700 years before Jesus was actually coming true. Jesus is gathered there with his disciples just before his arrest. And he turns to them and he says, these things, he's speaking of Isaiah in Isaiah 53, are going to be fulfilled, now fulfilled in me. They're about to come to pass. The disciples, they, they couldn't understand. They didn't know exactly what was going to happen and how that would play out because that wasn't their understanding of what was going to happen with God's sent one, the Messiah. But that's exactly what happens in the Passion Week as Jesus lives this out. He intentionally lives out his Father's will and purpose for him. And it leads up to this, the cross, as Jesus is going to give his life for us. Isaiah tells us that Jesus was going to be numbered among the transgressors. That is, he's going to be identified as a criminal. And that's what happens on the cross. Jesus is crucified for our sin next to two other criminals. And he's identified with them by the crowd and by the people that witness what's going to happen to him. So now, Luke 23, and we're going to pick up the story in verse 32. Verse 32. This is God's word to us this morning. His revelation so that you might know him. So you may know his purposes for your life and you might follow him and live in those purposes. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, There they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals 
who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due rewards of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Luke's detailing what happens on the cross doesn't go into graphic detail. And this morning we're not going to go into graphic detail. We have young kids with us. If you don't know the story, I would encourage you this week to read it yourself in the Gospels. Because the truth of it was, the cross is a horrible and a humiliating experience. What Jesus stepped into for my sake, for your sake, to demonstrate his love toward us while we were still wrecked, while we had nothing to offer him, it's overwhelming. It's astounding and impossible to fully describe for you. But Luke tells us some things about what happened in that event that I think are really profound and really helpful for us to understand who God is. They're powerful realities for us. And the first is this, that he wants us to see the heart of Jesus. You might have heard a lot of different things about who Jesus is from other people or different sources. Luke wants you to understand his heart, the heart of Jesus that moved him to do what he did on my behalf, on your behalf, so that you would capture it and have a relationship with him and grow closer in your appreciation and deeper in your knowledge of him. And second, I think Luke is trying to help us see the, the steely determination of Jesus to rescue, what exactly he was committed to and why he was committed to it and, and why he held on when he could have let go and why he went through what he did And third, I think Luke wants to see the reach of his mercy. Luke actually has been telling this story throughout his story, his account of the life of Christ, how wide the mercy of God is. And I think here he's going to help us see it one more time in, in Luke 23. And finally, I think Luke is helping us understand the wonder of new life, how how amazing and how wonderful it is to have new life. The Easter story And history itself, you can't possibly understand it fully unless you start to understand in a deeper way the love of God for us, the great love of God for me and for you. The Bible and my own experience, it's filled with examples of his unconditional and his unrelenting love. And I think for many of us here, we can tell stories tell stories of how great and amazing his love for us is. Luke is going to help us understand and consider the heart of Jesus. And look at how we discover it here on a cross between two criminals. In the midst of his sacrifice, his brokenness, the torture, the horror of what's happening to him, in the middle of people mocking him, for what he's doing, Jesus says out this amazing statement, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. 
He doesn't strike out at his opponents. He doesn't pay them back for their evil. And he doesn't even tune them out and ignore them. Instead, he steps into it to these people who are falsely accusing him. Have you ever felt falsely accused or felt the sting of other people's taking advantage of you? What's your, what's your instinct in that moment? I say it's to fend yourself, right? Or to step into something and to get aggressive. But that's not what Jesus does, though he certainly could have. Instead, he prays out, Father, forgive them. Who, who loves like that? Who does that? And did they really not know what they were doing? Jesus had been with them for three years, demonstrating like over and over again through stunning, amazing things that he did and and the things that he taught out, the way that he behaved. He had been teaching the truth out to them, and yet he prays out, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know the full reach of what's going on here. They can't possibly understand even in the middle of their rejection of him and the irrefutable proof that he gave them, he prays out with forgiveness and mercy. I think about that. It, it, uh, it makes me ask some questions of my own self. And I'd like you to ask, honestly, a question personally for you right now. Do you think that God should love you? Do you think that God should love you? The truth of Scripture is this. You didn't do anything to deserve the love of God. I didn't do anything to deserve God's love. I, I know sometimes, though, we, we feel like it, right? We feel like, oh, you know what? I'm actually pretty good. I've done, I have this long list of good things that I've done and impressive things, cool things. that I'm, And look at me. Look at all the things I've achieved. And all. I go up with this list, and, and actually I can step into it. And even some of us who are longtime followers of Jesus can have this entitled attitude like we somehow deserve the love of God, I'm here to tell you, you don't. I don't deserve the love of God. That's not the story that God writes. I don't deserve it. When we read the accounts of Jesus' life, what strikes close to home to me is how many people felt entitled, like somehow they felt like they deserved any blessing that God would bring, but just the opposite actually is true. We deserve what our rebellion, our rejection, our sin, injustice should give us, separation from God and his condemnation. But that's not the story. Isn't that good? That's not the story of the cross. It's not the story of Easter that we celebrate today. The story is, in his great love, he prays out, Father, forgive them. Forgiveness is the story that he's writing. Despite all that we truly deserve, he wants us to be forgiven. He wants us to experience forgiveness. And we're not forgiven by God because of who we are or because of what we've done or all the things we feel like we impress others with. That's not why we're forgiven. We don't do anything that merits Forgiveness. In fact, Isaiah says, if you stack up all the good deeds you could possibly do, they're only a pile of filthy rags. It's junk. There's nothing I do to deserve the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God. And yet, he still forgives. Isn't that cool? He still 
seeks our forgiveness if we would step into it. And Luke tells us that while Jesus is demonstrating his great love for us, seeking out the forgiveness of those who tormented him and mocked him, what they said in Jesus' response proves out that he had a great determination, a steely determination to rescue, to save, although we didn't deserve it. The crowd screams out, let him save himself if he is the Christ. People are gathered around mocking him this way. Hey, save yourself. So what if he would have? That's the question I want to ask. What if he did? Because he certainly could have. He was God in the flesh. He could have said, okay, that's enough. Everyone would have been shocked and surprised. He might have had the claim of the, of the crowd that moment. But what if he didn't die on the cross? The story is, if he did not die on the cross, you would have no way to have the forgiveness of sins without, Scripture says, the shedding of blood, of Christ's own blood on the cross. There would be no forgiveness of sins. If he would have said, okay, I'm stepping down, that's it. Look at how impressive this is. He could have done that. I would have never known the forgiveness of God if he wouldn't have been determined far beyond I would have ever been determined to love me and approve his love by dying for me. He could have saved himself. And I'm sure it was extremely tempting in the moment. With all those people, those self-assured people mocking him who had no idea of his power, but he didn't. He stayed on the cross and he died. If you've never read the book of Luke, it's helpful to understand that Luke has been painting throughout the story this great picture. It's a picture not only that, that Jesus was who he said he was and that he, he lived to forgive, but he has this great reach in his mercy. All kinds of different people imaginable. In this room today, we've got a wide section of people of different backgrounds, different countries we come from, different socioeconomics, different races, that's great. That's fantastic. That's what the church should be. That's how God created us to be. But when you read the story in the Gospels of how, how many different kinds of people God demonstrated his mercy to, it's stunning. Even when you read the accounts of what happens around the cross and the resurrection, it's crazy. And here's one more story. This criminal, who would have ever expected this guy to be the target of God's mercy? Because he had a long list of things that he was guilty of. And he was at the very last moments of his life, dying for what he had done and justly dying for what he had done. And yet God came to relieve that guy of his shame and of his guilt and to provide forgiveness and cleansing and to help me understand that in doing so, he could do the very same thing for me. We, you, and me, we're all just as guilty just as guilty right here before the cross of Christ, who was completely innocent, not me. I'm guilty. And I come to the Lord God with nothing, with just my own shame, my own, my own guilt before him. But here in the middle of the crucifixion, it happens one more time. He hangs next to two really lost guys. And Luke's crucifixion scene, it shows this wide scope of the reach of God's great mercy. 
one condemned criminal, he continues to rail against God and, and his son Jesus. And Luke presents that man's actions as in the language, the original language, that he keeps on blaspheming God. But something happens to the other guy. The other gospel writers, they help us see that, that this guy started off mocking Jesus, but something happened while he's on the cross dying himself next to seeing Jesus as he's living out forgiveness and mercy that changes this guy in his perception and his heart and what he's seeing. And all of a sudden, everything changes for him. And he starts to embrace and put his hope, the only place where he could find hope, in Jesus, who, who didn't look like a king in the moment, didn't he? He had been tortured, battered on the cross, was dying. And yet this thief puts his hope in him and says to the other guy, don't you fear God? Can't you see it? This man knows he's accountable to God and clearly something has happened inside of him. God has implanted faith in that moment in this guy. And note what the repentant criminal did not do to be saved. He didn't clean himself up. He all of a sudden looked great. He was dying. He had gone through the same kind of torture that Jesus had. He looked ugly and horrible and was humiliated. He didn't come with this long list of good things he had done because he hadn't done anything good. He hadn't gone to church. He hadn't taken communion. He hadn't been baptized. He hadn't done squat. He hadn't done anything. And yet God still loved him. It's my story. It's our story. That God still loves us when we haven't done anything to deserve it. That's God's story of salvation for us. It's a gift from first to last. It's just a gift. And he came to seek and to save the lost. And there's no boundary by which God will not cross to save us, to rescue people. That fact, it helps us understand a really significant truth that Jesus made coming to him a really simple thing, a really simple matter. We can come to him at any time, under any circumstance, after we've done whatever. And he will be there for us. And his grace is a free gift. And his grace was working itself out on that cross that he was hanging out. And he speaks grace into this guy who's hanging next to him. It's another great demonstration of the mercy of God. I look at people totally different than God does. God looks at each one of us with a heart of grace and mercy. And it extends to every person here in this crowd under the cross. It extends to every person here at Bridges. The mercy of God is for every one of us, regardless of what we have or have not done. It's pretty stunning, isn't it? Pretty amazing to think of. I was talking um, in between services to a guy, and he was saying, you know what, when you said that, it did something to me because I've been following Jesus for quite a few years. And I, I can act entitled. I can feel like, yeah, something now, you know, when I, when I didn't and I had yet to come to faith in Christ, I, I, I knew that. I, I could 
sense it inside. There's nothing I've done. And then God's mercy just took a hold of me, and I so appreciated it. And then as I started to follow him, all of a sudden I started to feel like, yeah, I, I have done some things that had deserved God's praise. I, I am a pretty good guy, you know? And then I realized that's not true. That's not reality speaking into me. Can I just speak to you who are believers for a moment, who followed him for a season of your life? You don't deserve his grace today. There's nothing you did this week that was impressive or earned God's favor. We respond to his love out of gratitude and thankfulness. We respond in obedience because of what he's done, but nothing we have deserves God's grace. It's a gift. And that's why we celebrate today. That's why we celebrate his resurrection, knowing that it's such a fantastic gift, what he's done on the cross and what he's done to demonstrate his power. And in the midst of well, what could have well been looked at as a tragedy, loss of all hope, and this guy struggling and coming to Jesus, seeking his forgiveness, Jesus makes this amazing statement. It points out the wonder of new life. Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. How can he make that promise, right? Where he says that today, this very day, you're going to be with me in paradise. And what is this promise that he's talking about? Well, let me be specific about what exactly he's saying to this guy in the phrase. First, Jesus is saying, this is immediate. Today, we're going to die a physical death. And you today will be with me in paradise. Some people believe that our soul falls asleep or it's in limbo or we wait for decades or millennia or whatever. That's not what Scripture teaches us. That's not what the Bible says. This guy would die on a cross and that very same day he's going to be with Jesus in glory. The Apostle Paul wrote about followers of Jesus that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's immediate. That's good news. If I'm a follower of Jesus and, and I have placed my faith in what he did on the cross and rising from the dead, it's instantaneous and it's intimate. Jesus says, you'll be with me. He says to this broken man, full of a lifetime of regrets and junk, today you'll be with me. It's hard to get our heads around this. Sometimes we think about heaven as this gigantic, amazing place, and God's way out there in the distance, and we're in the middle of this massive crowd, and we're just one little speck, you know, whatever. That's, that's not the image that the Bible teaches about heaven. We will know him and be fully known by him. We will be intimate with the lover of our souls. He's saying, today, you're, you're going to be with me. There's all kinds of great things about heaven. There's a long list of cool things that we look forward to. We're, we're no longer going to get sick with the flu. Isn't that good? Or have to go to hospitals or use insurance companies or have traffic jams or endure other people's gossip. We're not going to have cockroaches there, and there's going to be no country music. Okay, maybe that's, maybe that's a leap. Okay, maybe so. But the glory of heaven will stagger us. The beauty of it will stagger us. But that's not the best thing. The best thing is that we're going to be intimate with the lover of our soul, God himself, who has loved us and given himself for us. That's going to be the best thing. 
And it's incredible. Jesus uses a specific word to describe for this other guy what he is doing for him, what he is going to do for him. He borrows from the Persian word paradise to describe it. And it's a word that describes the Garden of Eden before there was sin. Where where God had created a place that was just for us. Perfect, without any kind of decay or wreckage. A place where we could thrive and a place where we could walk with him. He says to that guy on the cross who did nothing to deserve it today, I'm taking you and you're going to experience that. And that's my grace and that's my mercy. It's my story for you. Today, your story can be very similar to this guy's. You can know the mercy of God and all you have to do is say, here I am. Just like that guy hung next to you. I've got nothing for you, God. I'm just seeking your forgiveness. I just need you. If you come to Jesus and trust him for a new life and you say yes to him right now where you're sitting, he will give you new life. You have the guarantee of the God of heaven who will give you life new, who will forgive you, who will release you from guilt and shame. This is his story It's your story that God calls you into. And in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity just to have a real, honest, transparent conversation with God and seek that. And for those of you who have followed the Lord and you simply want to say, thank you, God, for your great mercy. Thank you for what you've done on the cross and thank you for rising from the dead so that I would know And I would be able to have a guarantee in my life that you give new life. I would just encourage you to pour out your thanksgiving to the Lord. So now together, let's just pray. Let's just turn our attention, our hearts, our thoughts to an honest conversation we can have with God. I call you to that. This is the first time you've ever actually spoken to the Lord. Just be honest. He sees right through you. He knows you. He's been waiting for this moment, writing this on you, on your heart. Just seek out his forgiveness. Ask him in faith. Though I've done nothing to deserve it. And I'm so thankful, Father, that you rose from the dead, defeating death and offering me new life. I I am grateful for those here that have chosen new life. I, I rejoice with them. Lord, help us this day to celebrate well your great power and grace as demonstrated on the cross and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.